Happy New Year. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. We've talked in previous episodes about the now-lost port of Indianola, once the second busiest port in all of Texas. It was near this place, on Matagorda Bay, where the first lighthouse in Texas was built. Today we discuss this magnificent cast-iron historical icon of the Texas Gulf Coast. But first, what's your favorite Texas island? Uh, I'm going to start off and say uh, Pelican Island, which is a small island just north of Galveston Harbor. Uh, It's on the north side of Galveston Island and uh, helps protect the Galveston Harbor and the Galveston Ship Channel uh, from the uh, Galveston Bay proper. Um, It's mostly marsh with just a little bit of dry land, but it is also the home to Texas A&M Galveston and uh, Seawolf Park. Uh, Mm, So I've visited it many times as a child and uh, holds a fond place in my heart, that marshy strip of land north of Galveston. You know, I'm going to throw out one, uh, Mustang Island. It was called Mustang Island because in the 18th century when there were Spanish herds of horses were there, and it was just covered in wild horses. But uh, it was uh, it's just it's a little island a little bit north of Texas, and I like it because uh, it's near Port Aransas, and it's a wonderful vacation spot. And I've taken my family down there many times to go enjoy the Texas beach and uh, have some fried Gulf shrimp. Uh, I'm going to go back a little bit of ways in history. I'm going to go with the island of Campeche. Uh, and actually, if you don't know what Campeche is, that's okay because... It was what the island of Galveston was called when Jean Lafitte lived and ruled there. So I'm going to go to a historical moment in time. Campeche <laughs> Island. So not merely an island in the water, but an island in time. An island in time. I, I think that actually the free state of Galveston should change its name to the free state of Campeche. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Revolution. Matagorda Bay, which was home to Indianola, is located approximately 80 miles north of Corpus Christi. When it was in operation, ships had to pass through what was known as Pascavallo, a gap between Matagorda Peninsula and Matagorda Island, to reach Indianola. This entrance at the tip of Matagorda Island was the ideal location to build a lighthouse. Now, Once Texas was annexed, the United States government assumed responsibility for navigational aids along the Gulf Coast. Actually, that is the responsibility of the U.S. government for the whole coastline of the United States. The U.S. Congress designated $15,000 on March 3, 1847, for lights at Texas's two busiest ports, Indianola and Galveston. But no real progress was made for five years. They were busy fighting a war against Mexico. The U.S. Lighthouse Service purchased acreage on Matagorda Island in 1848. Of course, the ever-efficient Texas legislature failed to pass a bill to sign over the land until 1849, and the governor didn't sign that into law until September 29, 1851. A Baltimore firm, Murray and Hazelhurst, cast the iron sections of the 55-foot tower. The iron tower with a brick lining was quickly constructed. A house was built for the first lightkeeper, James Cummings. The light was first ignited on December 31st, 1851. Happy New Year. Throughout the next 10 years, the tower would receive many upgrades. At first, it was painted in a traditional red, white, and black banded schema. 
1852, a wire enclosure was built around the lantern room to protect all of the lantern room glass. To increase the range of the lighthouse, an additional 24 feet were added to the top of the tower, which gives it a strange shape. So if you actually see a picture of it, it's sort of conical at the bottom, and then it has a weird tube top that goes up to the lighthouse piece. The recently formed Federal Lighthouse Board adopted the Fresnel lens, which was developed in France in 1822 as a standard for U.S. lighthouses. This rotating lens was placed in the newly extended tower and was activated in July of 1859. After secession in early 1861, the lens from the lighthouse was removed from the tower and crated for storage. It was common practice to black out the coastline to hinder Union forces during the time and to aid in running the blockade. During the war, the Matagorda Lighthouse and its twin in Galveston met two very different fates. The Galveston Lighthouse was completely dismantled during the war, and its precious iron was most likely used to make cannons or bullets or something. The Matagorda Lighthouse almost disappeared as well when Confederate soldiers were ordered to destroy the tower. Fortunately, their explosive charge only succeeded in damaging six of the tower's iron section and removed a large chunk from its foundation but the tower still stood. After the Civil War ended, a temporary wooden tower was built until the original tower could be repaired. In 1866, High Surf threatened to destroy the remains of the tower. Instead, it was disassembled and stored until a new, higher, and drier location could be secured. Due to delays and funding issues, the lighthouse would not reopen until September 1873. In this arc, In this incarnation, the tower was painted black and equipped with a new Fresnel lens from Paris. Matagorda Island offered almost no hurricane protection. The hurricane of August 19 and 20, 1886, forced the light keepers and their families to seek refuge in the mothballed iron tower. The high winds shook the iron tower and damaged the lens. The water would rise four the water would rise up to four feet in the tower, damaging most of the support structures. This very same hurricane obliterated Indianola, which had been devastated by the hurricane of 1875. That previous hurricane had destroyed two smaller lighthouses built to mark the channel leading into Matagorda Bay and drowned the four keepers of the lights. So hurricanes, y'all. Go go listen to the Indianola episode. Yeah, yeah. Shows you the Texas coast is not without its charms. In October of 1918, one lightkeeper wrote that during the night of the 12th and 13th, Instantly, it was calm and there was not a bit of air, and the bugs got so thick around the lantern that they obscured the lights. The small bugs got in through the ventilators, even though I have screen wire over them. I had to shovel the bugs up in the lantern, as well as on the lantern gallery, by the shovelful. In addition to these bugs and hurricanes, uh, the island was home to a very respectable rattlesnake population. In 1956, electricity was finally supplied to the island. This allowed the tower to be automated and facilitated the removal of lightkeepers from the remote outpost. In 1977, the lens was removed from the tower. The light, however, remained on at the behest of the residents. This continued until it finally went dark in 1995. Houston oilman Dewey Stringer, who had visited the lighthouse as a child with his father, was dismayed at the condition of the lighthouse when he returned to the island in 1997. Stringer and then-County Judge Arlene Marshall recruited some friends to form the Matagorda Island Foundation, which obtained a $900,000 Texas Department of Transportation grant to restore the lighthouse. The complete restoration came in at a cost of $1.23 million. 
The group's first major accomplishment was relighting the tower on December 31st, 1999, just in time for the new millennium. Phase one of the restoration included repairing the foundation and the lantern rune and painting the tower. The grand reopening of the lighthouse was celebrated on June 11th, 2004, with a gathering at the restored lighthouse. In this ceremony, a key to the lighthouse was handed from the U.S. Coast Guard to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, then to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and finally to Calhoun County. The passing of the key represented the complicated process that had to be carried out before the tower restoration could be complete. Today, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department maintains the land based on a lease that was made to Calhoun County by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service as part of an agreement with the Coast Guard. Complicated. Yeah, very complicated provenance (laughs) for that lighthouse. Indeed. Now, the lighthouse was a popular destination back when Texas Parks and Wildlife Department offered daily ferry rides to the island, but a fire burned the state's boat in 2003, and the ferry still hasn't reopened. Today, the island's entire east end is accessible to the public, including the old Texas Parks and Wildlife campsite, but there are no services. The only permanent inhabitants are deer, alligator, and 325 species of birds who live in the mangroves where you can fish and kayak. And I'm going to guess there are still bugs and rattlesnakes. So be careful out there, Texan visitors. An interesting side note, something I found in in doing a little reading and research on the Matagorda Lighthouse is just how incredibly remote it was. Um, Before there were any kind of modern communications and things, uh, essentially... It was a Swiss family Robinson. You lived down on this island pretty much all by yourself tending the lighthouse. It was a lightkeeper, and his family stayed out there. And even there was no connectivity to get to the island. Everything was by boat. So at the time, just to get mail was like a 25 or a 27-mile sailboat ride. So it was very periodic. And then given also rough conditions, squalls, there were a number of people who were killed uh, just in the daily you know, comings and goings of coastal living. So it was a very lonely and dangerous life to work in and around the lighthouse. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing, though, is that at least it was on the land. Um, There were numerous lighthouses. There were several lighthouses that were actually out in the Gulf, uh, either through platforms or in some cases there were permanent station lighthouse ships. Uh, So can you imagine uh, having to be a lighthouse on a boat that's in the middle of a hurricane or um, searching for German U-boats, that kind of thing. So, (laughs) yeah, interesting, interesting life to live. Yeah, well, uh, this sounds like one of those nice little um, lesser-known, out-of-the-way places to visit um, in Texas that uh, I have never heard of. So um, it sounds, sounds like hopefully one of these days they'll get that boat that ferry up and running again so that people can uh, visit it more easily. Yeah. Lo- I say we take a road trip. Yeah. Road trip. There you go. Well, honestly, if you're in Matagorda, uh, you're right near Port Lavaca. You're right near where the, the remnants of Indianola are. You're just up the road from Victoria. Uh, you can, you know, we hit, you know, and then you just head right up the road to Gonzales on your way to San Antonio. So you can mm-hmm. make a whole big Texas road trip of this. And it's all desert and mountains like in the movie Texas Rising, right? <laughs> oh my! It's a delightful coastal plain. <laughs> we can, we can go there after we. Tree. A little bit of mesquite yeah, tree at, and some some palms. Well, back back to lighthouses. If you've ever seen uh, one of these lenses, these old style lenses, 
that we talked about in this in this episode earlier. Uh, you should go look on the internet for this type of lens. It's a really fascinating uh, combination of multiple refracted uh, concave lenses that are together, so that the light is amplified. Uh, it's very fascinating. Uh, very fascinating analog uh, technology, definitely analog technology. Well, go to, and if you're down there, if you're in Port Lavaca, you can go down to 301 South Ann Street in Port Lavaca, and you can visit the Calhoun County Museum, and they're at calhouncountymuseum.org, and they have one of the original Fresnel lenses on display in the museum. So you can actually see the old school lens just sitting there. How cool is that? So if you want to drive hundreds of miles to see a 152-year-old lens, you're in luck. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Shaw, two ends. And I am Scotticus. You love this show. You're a fan of The Lighthouse. And you want to tell your friends about what we do. So get out there, tell them, and get to iTunes to leave a review. Because that helps us to find listeners just like you. And if you want to support Come and Take It financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast, where you too can become a Come and Take It Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.